0: To the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you're doing well and this is a podcast for you if you care deeply about coaching, doing deep transformational work with your clients or you're just somebody that really cares about this majestic path of being a human being and the way we can grow and unfold into our own potential through our lives. And so today I'm going to be speaking with Marita Boles and we're going to talk a lot about Whetstone, which is the graduate program that Marita runs every year for coaches. I'll just read something from a website. It says, Whetstone is not for the faint of spirit. It's a year-long development course for coaches and leaders committed to delivering high-level services for their clients and communities as a form of their highest self-expression. It is, in effect, a graduate program for people looking for continuing development with peers who are also experts. And the program assumes you are living a life of purpose and commitment and is designed to sharpen your sword so you can be the best you can be at this point in your evolution. That's a pretty good description of the program. Should be. Marita wrote it herself. So we're going to talk about this program. We'll talk about some key distinctions in it, such as you as phenomena, you as service in relationship for spirit, you and measurements, and you and the unknown. Those are some really interesting distinctions, I think. So a few more words about Marita. She has been a professional coach since 2002. She's trained coaches and leaders within an international coach federation accredited training program and she now coaches leaders, teams and individuals on their professional and personal development. She's also a practicing artist, has an MA and a PhD in music and an MFA in visual art and we'll kind of weave that in today. I think you get a a rich sense of the... Artistry that Marita brings to this work. And so, just like a safety announcement on aeroplane, please listen as I share this, I say it often, but if you would be willing to share this podcast, I'd be really grateful. Any of the podcasts for Coaches Rising, I want to just get the word out to as many coaches as possible. And if you feel like leaving a review, uh, you can do so. If you're not on our mailing list, you can head to coachesrising.com. On that homepage, there, scroll down, and you'll join our community and hear about things that are not this podcast. All right, so let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Marita Bolles. So, Marita, it's good to be with you. Thank How's sure. things today? With you?
1: Things are great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, Glad to cool. Be here. Well,
0: I'm, yeah, we met the first time a few weeks ago through a mutual friend, Poku, and mm-hmm. uh, he spoke really highly of you, so. I, um, I'm really excited to have this conversation today. We're going to talk about the work you do as a coach and also you have a program for coaches called Whetstone, yes. which I got really intrigued by when I looked at that. So I'd like to, yeah, explore what what that is and how it serves coaches. So Great. how does that all sound?
1: Sounds perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, just to ask you first, just to maybe share a little bit of like, what is the work you do? Like, what's your background? And -hmm. and we need to kind of get on the same page. Sure.
1: So um, I'm trained as an ontological coach. Um, I did a training in a company called Accomplishment Coaching back in 2002. And during that time, I was also very involved with Landmark Education and the work of uh, Werner Erhard. I did the forum back in 1995, and I did many programs with that as well. So, um, accomplishment coaching. The founders of accomplishment coaching both also had a lineage through Landmark and Werner in some direct or indirect way. So, um, so I'm pretty steeped in that kind of a conversation or that kind of a perspective. And in addition to that, I'm a musician and an artist and have lots of degrees in music and art and make music and art and uh, find that basically my brain creates in coaching and music and art pretty similarly. Like it's all like the same stuff, but coming out in different forms or different kinds of ways. So the stuff that I'm committed to gets to be expressed in many different modalities. Yeah.
0: I actually get really curious about that. Do you, do you have a <laughs> sense of like what what's underneath each of those three disciplines that's the same thing?
1: Um, sure. Well, one thing is I would say just who I'm being about it, which is just um, – well, all three of those things are inherently creative to me. You know, like the coaching conversation is a very creative conversation. Oh. And you're really – Mm. engaged in a process which is dynamic like where you're whether it's creating one's life or creating a piece of art you're like as John Dewey says you're doing and undergoing like you're doing the thing but you're also experiencing the thing so you're responsive to the thing as you're doing it and as you're under you're perceiving it while you're creating it right so in the coaching process it's the lived experience you know we can talk about a project or an idea But when you do it, you're actually living the experience, you're having that experience. And it's the same with art, of course. I mean, more so even with art because we relate to art experientially. Like you go to hear music to have that experience, you know. So there's a real similarity for me and also, my work delights me and that's sort of a place where I come from in both areas. (laughs) So just sort of following whatever is most delightful or amusing to me as an idea or as a pursuit, you know, Mm. it's, it's good. Like there's not like a, a way of being about music. I used to be much more serious about music, for example, and that was different than sort of how I was as coaching or like, there was sort of like these different sort of buckets or containers, but the more I've done it, they sort of have all blurred together and become much more integrated
0: yeah i i I think that's that's really cool because i've been reflecting on how um for me at least the the value in not being kind of ensconced within one field but Mm -hmm. the kind of multidisciplinary or multi-perspectival um approach that that actually they all begin to inform each other and expand me so I become more fluid I think that's so important in our times
1: truly and I think we're living in a time which is that way like there used to be such a focus on specialization and even when I was composing like it was really like you couldn't do anything else but compose like it occupied all of your mind and all of your time and all of your energy And then a few years ago, you know, so when I got another art degree, I went back and got an MFA in my forties and I, there was a different person who ran that program. He was interdisciplinary and he was a poet and a video artist and an activist and a teacher. And he talked about how how his pedagogy was as informed by aesthetics as anything else that he did. And I was like, finally, like somebody who speaks my language. And like in that program, there were all of these interdisciplinary people. And it was a very different experience than when I got my doctorate and, uh, and it just sort of gave me permission to really allow these areas to inform, not just like as my dirty little secret, like, oh my gosh, these things connect, but more like, Hey, clients and Hey people, Hey coaches, like we can actually get so much value from Mm cross-fertilization. It's really useful.
0: And um, just before I ask you about <clears throat> whetstone, um, the, you used the word delight as well, and I think that also is a, an interesting kind of energy, isn't it? Um, and I can relate to that myself. Um, mm-hmm. I find that that is something that's guiding my inquiry into these different areas. Sure. Um, and what what what's that experience like for you? That experience of delight is it? Does it have a kind of intelligence to it? <laughs>
1: I or not, so. maybe not
0: sometimes,
1: no, it's not. <laughs> I think so. I think, I think I, I've created sort of a, a, a discerning delight. Like I can tell when something is not delighting me <laughs> and then I will uh, um, tweak it or adjust it or abandon it or what have you, given that, um, I don't know, I, just, I feel much more relaxed when I'm in a delighted and amused space in general and that has me be more present. You can't be delighted if you're checked out or (laughs) stressed out or scared. Like there's just like all these ways of being that you cannot be, uh, or that would make being delighted impossible, I guess. And it's really just like, it's not even like a goal. It's just sort of who I am, like as a default kind of essential way of being that I have. And the more aware, it used to be something I kind of took for granted or it was so sort of just in the background or a personality trait and then as i've built more self-awareness i'm like actually this is a true north like this is a way to to align myself with my commitments and this is a way to pursue things by checking in with like what actually delights me
0: yeah, I, yeah. um i find it it's kind of got a kind of like connoisseur type mm-hmm. energy in my experience where i'm like savoring what mm-hmm. i'm doing and that reveals the depths and the distinctions of my Entirely. experience.
1: Right. Well, you want to play with it. You want to be with it. You want to explore it. And yeah. <clears throat> it, it, it's it's so inviting.
0: Um. Well, you know, uh, one of the things we'll talk about today is whetstone. I'm sure we're going to talk more about ontological coaching too. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, what is whetstone? For you? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, whetstone. <laughs> In, in fact, Whetstone is a year-long program for coaches. It's a seminar. And the content of the seminar is that we read um, different materials from different cultures and times and disciplines, like what we're talking about. And that all of these different, um, speaking of curation, they're curated to speak to one of four different topics, which is you as phenomenon or the lived experience, you in spirit you and measurements, or like concrete reality, and uh, you and possibility. Mm. And the intention was to have a place. So coaches, my experience of coaches is that we, we get trained, and we do stuff, we develop ourselves, and then we kind of take a break from that. And we do coaching, and we, and we become thought leaders, or whatever it is that we do, we become creative. But there's like not really a place to go back from a more advanced perspective and rekindle or revisit those fundamental inquiries. And I found that, you know, as I was advancing as a coach and being with other coaches, there became sort of like a, like an ontological laziness, even like, you know, just sort of like we get so smart about transformation and we know how to do it in a sense, like it almost becomes more like a skill. And therefore, we don't necessarily have the spaciousness to like sink in and revisit these kinds of inquiries and really check in on a deeper level.
0: That that um, just to interrupt you, that really grabs my attention what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know if you're about to expand on it. But uh-huh. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you, um, like, what you mean about that ontological laziness around transformation. I think I, I really get a a taste of it, but I, -hmm. I think you're going to reveal some of these distinctions (laughs) to me. Like what, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. So, um, so the, I would say that a challenge in being transformed or practicing transformation is always around authenticity, right? And are we being authentic with ourselves and others? And As ontological coaches, we learn, like, for example, to be a choice or, like, to distinguish who we're being and choose who we're being. Like, there ends up being, like, a lot of ways to sort of, like, choose your way from one way of being to another way of being, for example. So, like, Mm, um, without necessarily looking at, like, what was that first way of being? Like, what was actually going on there? And so it becomes a little bit of a shortcut, you know, sort of like... I can do the slim fast diet or I can eat right and exercise. And as coaches, you know, like, like, are we always eating right and exercising? Are we actually doing the work that we need to be doing when we get very good at just sort of like, cause we can be very smart, like, oh, I'm just being like this. Oh, I'll just choose that. And now I'm Mm. generating something else. And the challenge is that, you know, what I noticed as a coach of other coaches is that that wasn't always um, authentic. Like it kind of handled something in the moment, but it didn't actually handle the fundamental inauthenticity. So um, like actually doing that deeper work, you know, so whetstone is an invitation to actually be in that space.
0: And is that like, kind of like we develop a kind of identity as a transformational.
1: Totally. Totally.
0: Practitioner. And therefore that suddenly is the thing that comes to the foreground. Whenever we experience this, whatever it is. And then, you know, that's actually, but it has a superficiality to it as, mm-hmm. as well. Maybe it has a depth to it, mm-hmm. and, but it can also become like um, habituated.
1: Totally. Right. Cause part of transformation is being on the unknown or like is stepping into possibility. So um, yeah. So we get very, I mean, we get really masterful at skills, which makes sense, <laughs> but then you know, where do we, where can we have like a beginner's mind again? You know Where can we make mistakes again? Where can we just consider things, reconsider things? Um, you know, we have a relationship to possibility. Does that become a fixed relationship to possibility? Does possibility become performative? See, I see this all the time. Possibility is a performative thing. It's like, no, possibility is, it's gonna, can I swear here?
0: you can swear as much as you like
1: yeah possibility is gonna fuck you up right if it's not if it's not fucking you up then like it's not actually a possibility like we gotta like it's gonna create something it's gonna like have you have a real experience which is gonna touch you and move you so um you know what are we talking about when we talk about possibility when it becomes like an abstract concept right so um yeah <laughs>
0: Well, I, I just think I want to underline everything you just said, because I think this is gold, you know, um, what you're pointing to, that, because um, I, because immediately I can see with my my own life where that becomes the case, you know, and how even maybe it's even more, I don't know if I want to say dangerous, but like, you know, um, what's, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but Um, with transformation you know we read a bit we learn a bit Mm -hmm. and suddenly we're you know we kind of think we know more than we do or Mm -hmm. it you know it it sort of becomes habituated and then we're not really in that authentic journey that you're talking about so I think that's that's beautiful Um, Mm -hmm. and I guess I'm curious then how you invite coaches beyond that you know or to come to to see that and then move Mm -hmm. through that
1: yeah it's um you know Whetstone is a very it's a very spacious program it's not like when i in the early days of my transformation i mean there is such like a red pill blue pill thing going out like you know you sort of have to have a breakthrough to get that you are not your identity or like to see yourself separate from like to see your story separate from yourself and that takes like some real work, but then the coaches that I'm working with, they, they can already do that. So it's not like a, like pounding on your construct kind of a program. It's more like, we've already pounded on your construct. You know what your construct is. Like you've done lots of work. So whetstone is intended to be much more spacious. It's like, a, there are many metaphors to whetstone. One of them is, you know, floating on a lake. You're just floating. And we're having conversations. The conversations aren't designed to have you, like if you, if you arrive someplace, great, great. Like, or you can just be in the inquiry. Like the inquiry is the point of the conversation. It's not like to arrive necessarily someplace with it. And um, so it's a very, um, you know, like there's someone in Whetstone right now who's having a breakthrough simply in how she's doing Whetstone because she keeps making it very task-based and busy. And it's like, no, like that's totally missing the, the being the opportunity here is to not have it occur that way, you know, like to actually have it occur as a place where you get to relax and just, um, be in an inquiry. So there's that aspect of it. Um, there's also a very important team aspect to it that that the participants, um, relate to each other as masterful coaches, which is fun because Like in earlier programs, there is so much work in like that thing I was talking about, about separating your construct from yourself, if you will. Um, And they'll be like, you're, you know, you're an asshole, which, you know, I get like, we're all assholes kind of a thing. But now like in this program, it's all about your greatness. Like there's just no tolerance for the bullshit because why do that? Like, haven't we done enough to have to like tolerate bullshit one more time? So there's a real orientation of the team to one another, like really holding each other as their highest expression. And that the team be, so my metaphor for the team is that they're like a box of puppies. You know, like they're just all like in a box together and loving each other up and playing together and um, enjoying the process together. Like there's no, again, there's no like goal with the team. The team is not there to perform any other function except to be supportive and loving of one another and to sort of witness each other as their greatest selves. So, um, yeah, the the it's a it's a more um, feminine program, I would say, in terms of that it's non-linear, and themes are very interwoven. Um, it doesn't have a linear trajectory. There's um there's a second whetstone program which does have a linear trajectory. It's not that it's more masculine, but it's built on um. Planks, mm. um, it establishes a plank and then it creates another plank and then another each quarter. Um, Whetstone one is uh not that. Whetstone one is um we visit a topic, we put it down, we visit it, we put it down, we visit it, we put it down. So that it's sort of like it isn't, it is very symphonic to me. <laughs> like there are motives that occur and that sort of really come like the entire experience is perceived at the end of the piece really because then Mm. you get the totality of the piece right just to tie back what's done to the inquiry there is how do we love the world and the reason why there are planks is because it's a lot harder like that program takes a lot more work we actually have to establish things in order to get to the next inquiry Um, because not that's not a place where a lot of coaches have hung out so
0: yeah yeah well, I really really liked because I feel like perhaps we've been through a hyper masculine phase anyway <laughs> um, when we um, uh, you know approach our own development or mm. just in the whole field in general mm-hmm. and so um I like this idea of spaciousness and and non-linearity mm-hmm. in the sense of um, perhaps it's then undermining that part of us that might want to make it you know into mm. that kind of um well, use it to bolster up the the developmental self, the coach right, self. Right, right, right. You know. <laughs> totally. Um, I I got curious about those. I think you named four, um, like, I don't know, what you call them, domains. like yeah. The US phenomena. I've forgotten that there's US US measurement. I think you said. And it's
1: actually yeah. Concrete US, world. Yeah, measurements, phenomenon, measurements, spirit, and possibility are the four domains of the program. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Would you be willing to just share what they are and why you decided to break it down into those? It seems like you did that for a, a good reason, so.
1: You know, it was pretty inspired. So, Whetstone One was created in a weekend. I was inspired to do it, and I sat down and I put together the curriculum. <laughs> and I just, I had all the literature, I had all the readings. I just I just saw the entire thing and just put it together. And it seemed... Um, so there was not a lot of thought into like, Hmm, what are the things that coaches need to be thinking about? It was more like, this is what coaches need to be thinking about (laughs) these four things. And, um, and they're all very interconnected. So, um, the phenomenon part is to get us. So I'm not an ontological scholar, though. I dabble in scholarship and If you do read Heidegger, there is a conversation about ontology and phenomenology and the relationship between the two. Now, for me, ontology is a very head-based conversation and phenomenology is a much more embodied conversation. So I'm interested in phenomenology so that we can, for ontological coaches, so we can kind of move sort of the being conversation out of the language part of it and into the experiential part of it, right? Mm. And then there's, um, measures because I just have a, I guess a philosophy that physical reality is useful and (laughs) important for coaches, you know, so that we're always grounded in like what is so and what the facts are, but also that how we relate to measures can be very creative, like measurements. It's not just data. Mm. Um, Measurements inform us and reality informs us. And, uh, you know, I'm really blessed because my father was a cross country coach and he was a brilliant coach. And I have documents of his lessons. He would give his runners these coaching documents every day, which would tie measures like he would have historical measures of that team for the past 15 years running that race with those competitors tracking where they've been and where they are, and then place the individual runners on this year's team inside of that context, pointing to how they're moving towards a team experience. He coached cross country as a team sport, not as an individual sport in pursuit of excellence. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing was tied up as one ecosystem. And with measures, we do, we can be so like fixated on like, am I making the money? Did I hit the goal? Did I hit the deadline? Like, what is the, like, how much do I weigh? Like, what is the measure? What is the measure? But to start to get to measures inside of like that, this isn't about a measure. I mean, this is about an entire like growing edge conversation. This is about an entire self-development conversation. So that's the measurement piece.
0: Can <laughs> I ask a question before yeah, you course. go into the other two? Because, yeah. um, I'm actually quite curious about, um, well, you said like uh, moving the being conversation into phenomenology, Uh into, I I got this sense of a more um, phenomenological embodied experience. Uh And I'm kind of curious what that makes possible. And then um, kind of like weaving how that then can kind of fits with this world of measurement that you, Uh you talk about the concrete world as well. Sure. Um, but maybe just starting with like, what becomes possible when we, when we, you know, move into that uh, ex- that phenomenological embodied experience?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, one of the um, threads in Whetstone is that we're alive. <laughs> like the first, the first assignment is when did you decide to live? And we do a reading called Deciding to Live by this um, poet named uh, Dorothy Allison. It's a preface to her book called Trash. And, um, and so it's really about that. You're alive, you know, as I like to say, you're born, you have an experience and you die. So it's really fundamental to our humanity that we're living, we're living, we're alive and we're having an, an experience, which, um, as the further you go down the ontological route is a more created experience. You know, you really are designing, you're creating your experiences of life. So the connection really is that, um, like you know are you alive like are you fully alive are you alive how you want to be alive are you living the life that you choose to live like that is the fundamental phenomenon like your just experience of being alive and the measures you know concrete reality is very much a part of our experience of being alive because we're physical you know time-space based creatures right perceptual creatures and um So getting some, you know, and I guess this is also informed by being an artist. I mean, that makes this so much easier because artists use their imagination all of the time to create things in physical reality. I mean, that's like, so as to have a phenomenological experience, like that's art 101, right? (laughs) Like, you know, to be able to refine your skill sets, to be able to do that for another person so that they experience what you intended them to to have like Mm. they have the experience you intended them to have through whatever mode you are making the medium right Mm. but now it's like you're the artist and your life is the art and are you experiencing the thing that you wanted to experience if you create that intentionally
0: can can i ask you about that i find that a brilliant um inquiry and uh, (laughs) let me see if i can articulate what comes up for me um Mm. before i lose it uh I, i guess i'm curious like what comes out of that inquiry um and i know that it would be probably very different for each person but um you know i guess i'm thinking about my own life where i'm living into an inquiry around like what is the life i want to be living Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but inside of that it's like um there's the life i want to be living and the life i'm living
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: um how much is it about becoming more conscious and being able to create the life I want as mm-hmm. opposed to letting go of my resistance to the life that I have in a way that allows it to become the life. That I want. <laughs> um, you know, but does this make sense? And then yeah. I get that in a way, like, you know, what you said earlier about, yeah, this programs for coaches that have done a lot of that work where they've, you know, um, they're not able to perhaps see the, the kind of narrated. Mm. Habituate Mm -hmm. itself—the words you described it. But um, anyway, I just want to see like what comes up for you if I share that. If anything, I
1: I don't know that there's there's a either or there, but um, it's more like what's there's the life you want to be having. So it's more like what is the experience you want to be having? Right, like moving into the experience that you want to be.
0: That's that's beautiful because that's really it, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah.
1: because that's and it's a different. Cause the life you want to be having can be an idea mm-hmm. and it tends to be very egoic in nature. Well, the life I want to be having is to be like, you know, some version, you know, like my thing is um, the woman who wakes up at 5am and does yoga and drinks tea looking at the sunrise. Like every woman wants that. And no morning looks that way. Right? You know, like we're all like hitting the snooze button and our kids are running around or something. There's the life we want to be living, but it's more like, well, what's the experience that you want to be having?
0: Right. How do you right.
1: move to that? And and really like even with coaches who I coach, like they'll design projects which is about a life that they want to be living, which is not the same as the experience that they want to be having. Cause even us coaches have an idea, an egoic idea of what life should look like, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> and and like yeah. that may or may not actually have anything to do with how like the experience we want to be having. So then how do we actually discern that before we spend six months working on an egoic idea and actually like get much quicker about the authenticity piece and being like well this is the experience that I want to be having and then having that be your experience not later but now like that you're actually then creating that experience and having it doing I, I and undergoing just, yeah
0: yeah I mean this is quite profound yeah because it, it can take as I hear that it I imagine it takes us out of the Um, projecting Mm. that there's a life one day that I'll reach Mm -hmm. and, you know, if I, if I do everything right, I'll get Mm -hmm. there. But actually, no, there's a way that I can have an experience right now. Yeah. And um, how, how do you invite coaches into clarifying that, you know, that, that authenticity you just described Mm -hmm. so that they're like, Oh, this is actually it, you know?
1: Well, it's usually um, apparent in their speaking, like, um, like a coach will be creating some project for their business, and then they'll say, almost as an aside, like, "But what I actually want to be doing is writing this book," and you know, and some, or like, what I love to do is teach. What I love to do is gr- do group coaching, and their project has no group coaching in it. Simple as that. What I love to do is X, and then like whatever they're actually doing does not include X. It's like, what are you doing? You just said you love to do X and there's no X here. Like, it's just nowhere in your life. It's not on your schedule. It's not in your relationships. It's not in your conversations. It's not in your project. You're spending no time, money, or energy on this thing that you say that you love. So either you're bullshitting somebody, like you don't love that thing, or you do love that thing and you just haven't yet like integrated that into your lived experience for whatever reason. Because there's maybe some attachment to what you should be doing or right the resistance you were talking about or like whatever it is like which is how yeah. it is for any human being so it's more like you know that's the coach's job we get to actually say oh you said you love this thing it's not happening is this something you really love you know like is this really a thing a thing yeah it is okay great so how about we rather than creating a project about one-on-one coaching so as to get to group coaching in the future why don't we do the group coaching project now And it seems really simple and self-evident, but it's like, that's exactly the piece, right? Like, Mm. you know, we're always struggling to kind of see ourselves separate from like some concept about ourselves from society or our parents or whatever we picked up along the way. Right. Mm. So it's just as simple as listening to people, you know, or asking them, um, I know a coach who has this great question, which is, what do you yearn for? Like, how does this project attend to your yearning or does it, right? Which is such a perfect, because it's such an experiential question, right? It has nothing to do with the, the content of the project.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, guess I want to come back to then, um, well, we could talk more about measurements <clears throat> or we could talk about the other two Uh, Well,
1: yeah, you know, I think this actually connects a lot to possibility, right? Because like the possibility of your life is that you get to have an experience that is the experience that you choose Hmm. fundamentally, right? Like that's the possibility as opposed to some other experience. And the authenticity piece is like actually owning whether or not your life, the content of your life speaks to that possibility. And do you have the courage to confront that and um, allow that possibility, that yearning, that potentiality, that, that idea of yourself, that idea that, that delights you, right? whether you're going to allow that to be integrated into your life or whether you're going to do something else with your life for whatever reason. Right. Mm-hmm. I know coaches who are, uh, they're machines about coaching, you know, packed schedules, always on the go, always busy, brilliant, 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 brilliant coaches. Right. But there's like a deflection of what's possible for their life because busyness doesn't speak to Like that's not living. That's not being alive. That's being busy. Mm -hmm. So what is actual the actual experience of being alive for you? Right. There might be like, Oh, but I love making a difference. Yes. And making a difference and busy are not connected. There's no relationship between making a difference and busy. So, What I see and what I'm hearing is that you're busy and overwhelmed and stressed out and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So how do we make a difference and take that other piece out of the way so that you can be the possibility that you're choosing, right. And have that experience rather than the prevailing experience of being busy.
0: So it's like, I hear, is it that you're playing with people's ontology there or that they're, (laughs) they're, um, you know, the ideas they're fused with that they don't see
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and then, Yeah, they can see it and suddenly um, there's possibility that opens up because, (laughs) yeah.
1: Totally, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, possibility Um, is a real bitch. I mean, people have, coaches coach to possibility and have a really wacky relationship to possibility. (laughs) It's so like, it goes in and out so quickly and we can stand for the possibility of another so much more easily than we can stand for it on our own lives, you know, like, and like how to really capture that thing and bolster it and live into it as a daily practice, you know, it's really it can be challenging.
0: I mean, just, um, it speaks to me about, you know, you said earlier in the conversation about how, you know, coaches train and then, um, you know, maybe there's a point where they're, they're not training as much, they're doing the coaching. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel how important it is especially through what you're saying that we're in this like the livingness of our own development as a coach you know mm-hmm. the the kind of artistry of that livingness and um because it yeah. because it um kind of brings in a certain aliveness like I think you use the word the word authenticity it's like mm-hmm. well what what is that really you know like
1: right
0: other ways we could describe it but it's like that place of for me of of like realness, aliveness, mm-hmm. where there's an openness and a um an energy that comes through, you know, that's not been yeah. dulled down by <laughs> the lack of authenticity. Sure. So
1: yeah. It's um yeah, the whole um like no longer needing to have any skills. You know, like, it's really an opportunity, like, a lot of people who do Whetstone really refine their coaching philosophy. You know, they really, they, um, they really drop into their voices, like, their individual self-expression as coaches. You know, it's sort of like, um, like, a place where if there's any sort of remaining, like how to do coaching right or what's supposed to look like or any, any, any remaining residual stuff like that stuff gets to be really left behind. And there's like a maturity that gets to be stepped into from a philosophical perspective, like from a, you know, like in more like a one's voice. Right.
0: And how does that, how do you see that happening through the program? Like um, what is it that allows that to take place?
1: Well, I think actually, um, I think the readings actually really help with that because one of the intentions behind the readings is that you're hearing all of these different voices. So you're hearing all types of people speaking. Two things that we deeply care about, and they're not coaches, which is hysterical to me because, like, I think as coaches, we're like we're the only people talking about blah blah blah. It's like no 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 no. There are so many people like all over the world and all these different disciplines and for a millennia who have been talking about the stuff that we're talking about, and so like really getting um, like hearing how people talk about things, just the language that people use, and you know reading. Like we read, there's a little mini spirituality unit we do where we read um, a uh, translation of St. Thomas uh, Aquinas. And then we read uh, Chogram Trungpa's uh, sacred path of the warrior from Shambhala. And then um, what's the third one that we read there? Oh, the Gita. We read the <laughs> the first section of the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, we have an inquiry about um, faith in God or universe, faith in human beings and a faith in the, an ultimate reality. So the Gita is the ultimate reality one. And the Shambhala is the human being ones. And the Thomas is the God one. Cause he's just like gushing about God. He's like, God's oh, incredible. You know, like the way nobody in modern, in modernity talks about God. Right. And so we like, we look at like just this idea of faith and where we have breakdowns in faith and what would be made possible if we actually had faith in these three things, Like, what does that make possible? If you're living your life from a context where you have faith in spirit, faith in other human beings and faith in an ultimate reality, how does that shift your experience? Mm -hmm. So it's like a real opportunity, but then, but these are all different people from different times, different cultures, different ways of speaking. Some people like the reading or don't like, you know, all these opinions about the content and how it's done. And, but it allows people to start thinking about their own voice in the matter of faith. And what that means for them
0: uh, yeah because um, it's not me it's th- not
1: me talking it's all the people talking
0: <laughs> right yeah I, I'm struck by <clears throat> how important do you think this is particularly for our times yeah because like I think this just to preface I should have probably said this the first thing but um I think this is what we're being invited to as a, as a community, a collective community, community now coaches that mm-hmm. actually, um, that we need to, it's the, I guess I'm coming back to the cross-disciplinary approach again, like how essential that is that we don't just imbibe one approach, mm-hmm. like an ontological approach or a mm-hmm. developmental approach or whatever, but, the, or a somatic or we're, but we're um, finding our own voice through that reading of all these different perspectives and voices across the millennia. I think that's wonderful. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's, I can really imagine that's where coaches land in that power of their own voice. Yeah,
1: sir. And like, you know, and some of the readings are just really bold, you know, we read like Audre Lorde and everybody's like, oh my God, (laughs) I don't know. It's like, it's a little bit like a liberal arts program that way. I think in fact, one person was like, I'm finally rounding out the liberal arts education I never got because we're reading like all these different things. But it really, there's so many people who speak so powerfully and um, like the writing of a manifesto, for example, like, you know, we have an assignment to write a manifesto or to write your eulogy, like what was what happened? What was the point of your life? What was the what did you say with it? What was the end of the story? And when you read people like in coaching, we don't do manifestos. We just ask questions and give reflections. <laughs> like, you know, it's a very like kind of like deflected way of like moving somebody's process along. Right. But these people, they can say whatever the hell they want. You know, they can just say like, pow, you know, this is the thing. This is the belief. This is the perspective. And it's so liberating to read something like that and to get like, Oh, I get to actually step into a very bold way of speaking and a very bold way of embodying, you know, my core values, my core beliefs as a coach. And that it's, you know, interdisciplinary and cross generational and et cetera. um, I think it's useful for our times, certainly, because we're in a time where we're really reevaluating, sort of like just the dominance of a Western patriarchal perspective. But also, um, I think it's important for us as coaches because it's a very weird field, in that you don't have to have, you know, thought about any of this stuff before. <laughs> like you can just sign up for a program and get some training and do it right. Like there's no necessity you know, the ICF core competencies don't ask you if you've had like where you're at in your values and beliefs and coaching philosophy, you know, like, it's more like, what are your skills as a coach and enabling a process. So um, having a deeper cut, I think is a big opportunity for our profession.
0: Yeah, right, right with you. And um, (laughs) I just want to pick up something you said about reading the manifestos, uh, Mm -hmm. these like bold manifestos. And actually um, it sounds like there's a kind of transmission going on there for these coaches too, you know, that um, at at least that's the way I kind of picked up on what you're saying is that by reading these manifestos, people, it opens up something for the people reading it and they're able to perhaps embody something through that. And I wondered if that was the case and what you see happening there, like, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it's absolutely the case. I mean, just, uh, I mean, it's just inspiring. And I think that that's where, I mean, one of the, you know, if there are a few different like um, ethics of whetstone in the background, one is that the program be of use for people, but the other one is that it'd be fundamentally aspirational or inspiring. So when people are inspired, you know, then they are, um, they're lit up to like, to step into, a voice, to step into a power, you know, like to step into their power, because you're actually seeing how other people have stepped, not in a coaching context, like other people have stepped into their power through like their art, like through their declaration, through their writing. And, um, and therefore there's just so much, um, there's permission and there's also play there. It's like, oh, like I want to play with that. I want to play with, what I see, what I want to say, how I would say something. And, uh, that can be very, you know, um, nourishing for, for people.
0: Hmm. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Um, I guess there's, there was a fourth, um, was there a fourth one we haven't covered?
1: Spirit would be the fourth one. I mean, I touched on it a little bit, but, um, right. Spirit is another one. And then that's also related to possibility. I mean, it's all sort of like how we deal with the physical and the metaphysical, really. <laughs> like, you know, there's the physical, like your experience as a human being and the measures. And then there's the metaphysical, which is like, you know, possibility, your spirit and that stuff, which is not so, you know, necessarily physical. And while, like, there's no um, religious um, orientation of the program, we do play with a lot of ideas around, um, You know, just sort of, I don't wanna say this, like the divine system that we're all a part of. (laughs) So maybe I would language it, like just sort of the, like what is the limitation of our subjective perspective and how do we like really grow and step into the more of the allness of it or the universe or however you wanna language that for yourself. But it provides this whole other opening for people like to be connected beyond here. Like I can then be connected and it has relevance to me, but then I also have a say about it. And I have to potentially deal with my stuff about that because I could also be very confronting. Like, you know, it just invites this whole other conversation. So um, what's possible and like one's relationship to possibility, like spirit may or may not be possible for you. Like there's a possibility conversation about spirituality some people it isn't mm-hmm. for some people it isn't but then we get to have that conversation <laughs> right so it's all interconnected
0: and I'm, I'm imagining at least from in my own experience the um expanded sense of self that came through a spiritual inquiry and in practice mm-hmm. um, which kind of like loosened the tight knot of ego <laughs> somewhat mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean in the sense of like there's a good functioning part of ego, which is really useful, but there's a there's a kind of protective yeah. controlling side and that <laughs> part um loosened somewhat and that enabled me to live into possibility mm-hmm. more in the process.
1: Yeah, totally. And really like for me, for me personally, the spiritual conversation is always a love conversation. Like it just always comes back to love again and again. And I can't really avoid that <laughs> personally. I'm like, Oh, there it is again. You know, like, and so, and then that is really like such a, you know, like, are you open hearted? Like, are how open are you to all of it? Like, are you really, what are the limits of your love and how you express it and who and with whom and beyond just sort of, you know, in the physical space and et cetera. I don't know. It gets really hit. It gets, <laughs> it gets pretty far out for me pretty quickly, but that's where I, where I always end up with it.
0: And I'm I'm imagining the phenomenological experience of love too.
1: Mm. Oh, entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So they're all so deeply like interwoven and it's really beautiful because when you read the text, like they will say things, like different people will say similar things in like different places. And like when I'm reading them, like one time, what was it? Oh, somebody didn't get to the end of the assignment. So I read it out loud in in the seminar and like I'm reading it, and I'm like reading a line, I'm like oh, and that's the Dewey piece, which I mentioned to you. And like oh, and I'm like oh, and that's that from there. <laughs> like it was a JD Salinger piece, and I'm like referring to all these other readings because everything, like they're all like talking about these same things as well. Like it's all embedded really beautifully. Mm. So that that is amusing to me personally. I don't think anybody else cares about that, but that's where I find a lot of delight is in like the interconnectivity um, of different authors talking about different things, but the same thing you know
0: do you, Do you know what it is about that that delights you
1: you know I don't know but like I have this weird gift of being able to take disparate things and finding the kernel connection between them like it's weird I mean <laughs> like like I was listening to this piece of music that I'd never heard before it was this new trumpet piece it was this modern piece that had been just recently written and it occurred to me that um, that piece gesturally matched this piece called Trio A, which is by this modern dancer from like 1960 something. and. Yvonne Rayner is her name and I found I did that that thing you know with um the Wizard of Oz and Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon where if you start them at the same time it works like the soundtrack Uh so I did that with Trio A and this trumpet piece and it totally worked and it blew my mind I'm like how do I do that like I don't even fucking know like I just have this intuition about things that connect in a very kind of um real tangible kind of phenomenological way and so I think when I designed the whetstone over the course of the weekend it was just like my brain having a a play date with itself and just uh putting together all of these things it's it's a little bit it's like inside of the realm of like gift and brilliance that i don't need to think about too much it's just very natural to me and i just sort of let it let it be so
0: yeah it sounds like some kind of like patent pattern recognition (laughs)
1: totally it's totally strange um,
0: you know like synesthesic pattern recognition (laughs) it's really weird capacity Mm -hmm. that you know um it's fun yeah. though i
1: mean like you know and then when it works you're like hell yeah like check that out and then you know i want to tell everybody and then it's like this is so obscure like nobody cares about either this drama beast or like the Yvonne it's like it's like that's nice Burita. you know moving yeah. on <laughs>
0: um what I, I guess i'm curious about the outcome of whetstone um, yeah. in terms of you, you i think you've talked about it quite a bit already but you know i'm curious what you see is a common outcome for people who are going through this, you know, more spacious, nonlinear approach, mm-hmm. these readings, their own reflections, reading mm-hmm. manifestos. Right. Inquiries. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They, um, I would say that um, they really do come out with a more clarity around who they are as coaches mm. and what they're here for. Um, a lot of people, refine their voices, and get more confidence as coaches. Um, Everybody makes more money, weirdly, because I don't have a... There's no money conversation in the program whatsoever. But, like, there's a big abundance that occurs through doing the program. People really stop dicking around, basically. So a lot of stuff that... um, then there's no real tolerance for dicking around in the pro and there wouldn't be. And like, and plus again, like with these readings and you're reading these people who like did the work and wrote the poems and wrote the pieces and, you know, they are living their full life. And so there's no sense in not living your full life. So a lot of things that a lot of, uh, to use a landmark term, a lot of rackets get resolved, you know, they just get bankrupted because why bother? I don't want to live that life. I don't want that experience anymore. Like, so, um, there can be just a lot of, um, a lot more play, a lot more ease, a lot more money and, uh, sort of a much more empowered relationship to why I'm here, you know, like what yeah. I have to contribute to this conversation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, um, I hear that kind of um, journey of like, I don't know if it's like po- a post-conventional move where, you know, we found that freedom and our own voice. But mm-hmm. also at the same time, our our own voice is one which is like very multi perspectively informed, you know, mm-hmm. and fluid. Mm-hmm. And with that, with that ease and playfulness and fluidity yeah. comes like a lot of power, actually. Totally. Um, like, a, like healthy power which can mean I make more money and I impact people mm-hmm. more deeply. Yeah. Um, but
1: there's like a, there's like a not, um, I don't know. Like, so my, I have a, Oh, I'm not alone in this, but like that the, the word coaching to me seems like a small word for what some of us do. Like, it's just sort of doesn't really capture it. And um, I feel like there's, um, it's almost like people don't feel alone you know, like we're not isolated as coaches, We're like, we're a part of such a bigger fabric and it gives us sort of a place really even like historically or like societally, like we can start to see our role. Like, it's not just as like late capitalism manifestation hybrid between like consulting therapy and like new age thinking. Like it's like, it's bigger than that. And it's deeper than that. And it has roots that go back further than that. So that whole underpinning, I think really, um, whether consciously or not, I think it serves to give people a place to stand. Um, that's much more uh, powerful for them.
0: I, I think we're, um, again, it behooves us to kind of um, be in this inquiry and um, evolve the the field. And mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like, there's a bit of a danger you know you mentioned the icf and great things they've done and the more we define what coaching is and ring fence it the danger is that it stops evolving and um it's i find more and more coaches saying like the word coaching is just doesn't fit for me anymore it's too small Mm -hmm. what you just said and
1: yeah
0: what i do is more than more than that and so i find that very interesting you know because Mm -hmm. it fits for me too it's like so I don't know if we need to like update what that word is mm-hmm. or find a new word. You right. know, but, yeah. Um, it's,
1: it's interesting. It's an interesting, it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not not coaching, but it's way more than coaching. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's like both and and um, and it requires then like some amount of translation. Like if I'm talking to a new client about what it is that I do and I'm perfectly happy to do coaching, like straight coaching, like, you know, I like, I like helping people. I like people being empowered by what they're up to, but my, um, my spirit and the place where I have most value is in a much deeper conversation. So, um, so then to also call that coaching is a little weird. (laughs) It's like, how do I parse this out? Yeah.
0: uh, Who was it? There's a, someone I know, Rand Stegen showed me a model they have of Mm -hmm. like transformational coaching. And below that they had like, I'm um, going to remember it's like, this is the, the the level below was like the deployment of a very sophisticated coaching methodology. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: very effective. Uh, you're, you're a great coach mm-hmm. and you're deploying that methodology, but transformational coaching was where you, you really let go of the need to deploy any methodology mm-hmm. in any way, right. even of any outcome. And you were playing in this much more like free form, like space and, mm-hmm um i don't know if that's kind of yeah i wonder how you describe that that deeper thing that you're doing
1: yeah i don't i don't know i don't have an answer yet and it's it's great because i'm working on my website and i have to go with all this new language and i'm just like uh-uh, like none of the language works i'll just write about how the language doesn't work (laughs)
0: right well i might have to do for now like this is not like uh, (laughs) precisely it's like
1: and i don't know what it is but we're we're heading there we'll figure it out it's happening it's part of the evolution of the field so
0: um as as we like um come towards the end of our conversation i've got like a couple of questions i'm going to mix mash together and see Mm -hmm. where you take it and Mm -hmm. um one of them is um like what do you think the future of coaching is? Like, what's the future of coaching? And Mm -hmm. I'm not like expecting you to have thought through any answer to that. I'm just going to see if anything comes up. And Mm -hmm. the second one is like, what's inspiring you, um, you know, that you think coaches might be interested to check out as well. Hmm. We'll point to your own work as well uh, at the end of our conversation.
1: Um, well, I hope that the future of coaching becomes much more engaged in, um, In moving people out of a conversation, which is exclusively about themselves and into like a citizenship or global conversation, like who we are as global citizens. And I feel like that's part of the evolution of the field where, um, like if I, if you're a new client and you say, wow, what can I do with coaching? I say, oh, you could look at, you know, your relationship or, you know, you can look at your business. Like I'll set up a bunch of domains as examples, but they're all about you. And now I also include, or you can look at who you are as a citizen or who you are on the planet or what you feel like. I start throwing out other ideas because in the, in the early days of my coaching, I didn't even point to those things and coaching wasn't really about those things. It was about like sort of a project in your life or domain of your life, or maybe there would be like an organization which had a specific vision or commitment. But when you start to move out beyond uh, an individual locus or an individual vision into like other visions, which may or may not be compatible. Like that's where I feel like coaching can start to play a really dynamic and necessary role in our world today. You know, so it's not just that you're alive, but also that you can live with other people who are also alive, right? You know, and like doing their life in a kind of a way or with their needs and their wants, and their priorities. So
0: do you think coaches have a role to play in these times, you know, with all the crises we face and the You know, this time between worlds, it feels like sometimes um, polarization. Do you think coaches have an important role to play?
1: Um, I think some coaches are stepping into roles. And I think the field lends itself to having a role, but we're like itty bitty babies about it. I just don't think we've even thought in those terms. But to be fair, I don't think the, the planet has thought in those terms. You know, like we are so barely waking up to our interconnectivity. Like COVID kind of did it not completely, you know, Mm. environmental crisis is kind of doing it and not completely. Like there's just so much resistance to getting into interconnectivity. So, um, you know, it seems like it's a very nascent kind of a place currently, but I think that we could absolutely like, it would work for us to move in that direction. I think that that would be compatible with our work in a big way. Mm. Yeah.
0: Just a reflection on what you said about global citizens. Like I, I, Cause I, what that brings to mind is like service too. Like how, mm-hmm. how can I serve? I find that such a powerful way to cut through a lot of um,
1: yeah.
0: like personal, like if I'm focused on like, Oh, um, am I like good enough? Am I confident mm-hmm. enough? to I feel mm-hmm. alright to like do this workshop or whatever it is? Like but mm-hmm. if I just go like, actually I can, how do I want to serve my mm-hmm. community or the world? Mm-hmm. um it just frees me up like it just mm-hmm. completely frees me up it totally changed your priorities <laughs> totally exactly yeah. and yeah. then I don't give a fuck like about <laughs> doing it right or something it's like I'm just mm-hmm. sharing my piece that's here to be shared in this moment with a full heart yeah you know and totally. Um, so it's great um, yeah yeah then um I like that then what a yeah yeah interconnectivity yeah mm-hmm. Um, cause I do think coaches can play an important role in these times. If we, yeah, I agree. If yeah. we, you know, if we make the kind of shifts you're talking about with, with whetstone too, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that it can have a ripple effect out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything you want to share about what's exciting you at the moment? What's I mean, <laughs> like,
1: exciting
0: me at the moment? I, I get that. My, that could be a whole long conversation, but yeah, you know, maybe something you, that's interesting for coaches, Listening to um, check out? Or... Hmm.
1: You know, I'm in a pretty quiet space right now. I'm in sort of a, I was actually sharing with my own coach that I'm enjoying the summer. I think for the first time since I was a kid, like I just worked. <laughs> I just worked. I just, at some point I just started working and I just didn't stop working. And now like I have a very spacious summer. So I'm not doing a whole lot of intake, though I am interestingly reading the, the book I'm like almost done with speaking being a little proper. This is the book about the forum. I don't know if you've seen this before, but it's a transcript of one of the early forums with Werner Erhard leading it. And it connects yeah. the work of the forum to the work of Werner Erhard. Like there's like a, an embedded, I mean, not uh, um, to Heidegger. So there's like an embedded conversation about Heidegger in there with like quotes to Heidegger's work. It's very wonky. I love it because <laughs> I'm like such a wonk. But um yeah so that's I'm enjoying that a lot. it's What's good that to that like called again? it's called speaking being
0: speaking being cool yeah yeah
1: so um yeah it's cool
0: mm. yeah nice um yeah. and then I do want to ask like where we can find out more about whetstone and your sure. work as well
1: yeah, so whetstone is um it's on my website, which is Marita bolus coach it's just my name with the word coach at the end dot com so that's super easy to get to um. I am revising my website. So it'll be new at some point, but it's going to have the same, the same name. And then there's a whetstone tab there and it just talks about the whole program. Yeah. So that's where my coaching work is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Then uh, (laughs) I just want to thank you uh, for, uh, I really enjoyed this and I'm um, I really feel appreciative of your I don't know what the word would be like the syn- synesthetic mind that you have. You know? <laughs> um, I, I really think that's important actually for, for a lot of coaches. Um, but I, I really feel you embodying that. So. Thanks. Yes. Yeah, yeah, a lot of
1: fun. Very yeah. cool. Thanks for having me here. It's really a great conversation. A lot of fun. Great questions. Yeah.
0: Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a heads up again if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.